One of the greatest challenges in surgical tumor removal is deciphering the borders of healthy tissue versus unhealthy tissue. Recently, researchers at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center have developed an intraoperative tumor paint to be used to assist physicians in removing all of a pediatric brain tumor. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special series on children's health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. James Olson, who is an associate professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the University of Washington School of Medicine, and a hematology oncologist at the Seattle Children's Hospital. In addition, Dr. Olson is an associate member of the Clinical Research Division of the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center in Seattle. Welcome, Dr. Olson. Thank you. Today we are discussing tumor paint for intraoperative cancer visualization. Dr. Olson, what is tumor paint? A tumor paint is a molecule that makes cancer cells light up. It's a molecule that we can give intravenously, and it travels through the body, binds specifically to cancer cells, and it carries with it a molecular beacon that emits light in the near-infrared range. So how do you really use that in an operating room? The way we envision it is a day or two before surgery, the patients would receive an injection of tumor paint, and then at the time of surgery, the surgeon would use his usual methods for debulking or taking out most of the tumor. And when he gets toward the end of the case, when it's difficult to tell which is cancer and which is normal tissue, he or she would begin looking through either special goggles, like the Army uses for night vision, or through a computer-assisted camera that would show where there's cancer foci that are left behind. These would be glowing with near-infrared light, and it would make it easy for the surgeon to see small spots of cancer that were missed in the initial resection. Well, isn't it simple to be able to look at a cancer in a patient and see, well, that's cancer cells or the other cells are normal? It's really not because cancer cells are normal cells that have just lost their control of growth. They're either growing too fast or they've somehow molecularly forgotten how to stop growing. So, in fact, tumor cells look just like normal cells in many cases. They have the same color, the same texture, similar blood vessels running through them. And all too often, after cancer surgery is complete, we look at the post-operative MRI scans and we see that there's still pieces of tumor left behind. Sometimes these pieces in the brain are as big as a thumb, and it's really a very difficult decision at that point. Do we take the patient back to the operating room and delay their radiation and chemotherapy by doing a second surgery, or do we press on and do the radiation therapy and chemotherapy, knowing that billions of cells were left behind, each of which could become resistant to chemotherapy or radiation therapy and foil the therapeutic attempts that follow. When a simple explanation, how does this tumor paint target the cancer cells? Well, it's really kind of a crazy story. The tumor paint, the molecule that does the targeting, comes from scorpion toxin. Initially, this scorpion toxin was being studied as a way of learning how ion molecules, chloride, channel, chloride ions, as a matter of fact, uh, travel in and out of cells. It turns out that the researchers in Dr. Suntimer's lab at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, used glioma cells because they had a lot of these chloride ion channels. It turns out that they later showed that the molecule wasn't actually even binding to the chloride ion channels, but because they saw that it bound to glioma cells, we thought we'd take the next step and link that 
scorpion toxin to a fluorescent molecule that would emit light when it got to the cancer cells. So the basic way that it works now is that the scorpion toxin bound to the light molecule travel through the bloodstream, go past the cancer cells, and when they see the receptor that it's targeting, it binds to it and gets internalized in the cancer cells. Several hundred of these molecules get internalized into each cancer cell, making it a little beacon of light that is easy for the surgeon to see. Are there any false positives? The only places that we've seen it bind besides cancer are in fat pads, uh, like when we do mouse studies, we see that the pads of their feet light up. Uh, and also the kidney is, is quite bright. That's because the kidney is where the drug that isn't binding to the cancer is excreted is through the kidney. Now, are you able to now synthesize the scorpion venom, or do you actually have to get the venom from scorpions? Uh, there are two ways to make it that don't require scorpions. It can either be made from recombinant DNA, or it can be synthesized chemically. And has this been used at all in a human? The tumor paint that we've developed has not yet been used in humans. We're hoping to be in human clinical trials in about 18 to 24 months. So far, the chlorotoxin, the portion that comes from the scorpion toxin, has been used in patients. A company called Transmolecular, which is located in Cambridge, Massachusetts, is using a radioactive form of chlorotoxin to treat gliomas. Now, are these specifically only for gliomas? Well, that was what we developed it for. I'm a pediatric oncologist, and we were tired of seeing kids come back to tumor board where we discussed their cases and finding that they still had residual cancer after surgery. But once we began learning more about what the target was, we realized that it would work for a variety of cancers. So we've tested it now in mouse models of prostate cancer, sarcoma, breast cancer, skin cancer, and it's worked in all of those. Uh, we're in the process of beginning to see whether we can use it for early detection of cancer. Uh, for example, if you were at risk for skin cancer, wouldn't it be nice if you could just go in once a year and get a scan rather than trying to decide uh, which mole needs to be biopsied, and even more so, what kind of skin cancer that doesn't have an association with moles uh, might, might one have that needs to be addressed by a surgeon. Why is resection, complete resection, I should say, of the tumor so important when you are doing radiation and chemotherapy afterward? The reason it's important is because when you leave cancer cells behind, each of those cells has a chance that it's resistant to chemotherapy or radiation therapy. If you leave 10 cells behind, you have 10 chances that you have a cell that's resistant to it. If you leave a billion cells behind, you have a billion chances that one of those cells is resistant, and it only takes one because the resistant cell can then begin multiplying and form a new cancer that's resistant to your therapy. We learned this through clinical trials a number of years ago where we found that children who have a piece of medulloblastoma, the most common type of cancer left behind that's about, say, the size of a grape, have a 30% higher likelihood of dying from recurrent cancer than those kids who have less than a grape-sized piece of their tumor left behind. In review, how common are these pediatric brain tumors? Cancers are really not that common. Uh, we have about 300 cases of medulloblastoma across the country every year. Uh, but for each family that's affected, it really doesn't matter how common it is. And in this case, it's, uh, it's terrific that a kind of research that was really focused on that very small number of children in the country turns out that it very well may help the millions of adults who have cancer as well. Now, what happens if we use this tumor paint, let's say in a glioma, and we see it peppered in various areas of the brain where we would actually have to resect 
a major portion of the brain in addition to the tumor to get all of these positive areas out? That's a really good question. It turns out, particularly for gliomas, that many times there are cancer cells scattered throughout the brain. And the tumor paint really is not going to help a surgeon get all those individual cells that are in between the normal tissue of the brain. The goal here really is to help the surgeon do what they're already doing, which is to get the best resection they can of the primary tumor and any major metastases. We're really going to depend on chemotherapy and radiation therapy to mop up those cells that are left behind after the major tumor is taken out. The other thing that I should mention, though, is that we're in the process of looking to see whether tumor paint can be modified to actually carry a therapeutic with it so that it could deliver radiation or chemotherapy or a toxin directly to those scattered cells that can't be removed by the surgeon. I was just going to ask you exactly that. If it does target specifically tumor cells, why can't that be used in of itself in addition to surgery to destroy the cancer cells? Well, it's quite possible that it will be able to, but we still have a lot more research to do before we are at that point. There are really two things that we need to do. One is to determine if there are other cells in the body that this binds to. Remember, so far we've looked in mice at areas that we have tumors and seen that the tumors can be easily distinguished from the adjacent normal tissue. We haven't done a complete survey of the rest of the mouse to see if there are tissues that have a small number of cells, and if so, what those cells are. The other thing, of course, that we need to do is to actually make the toxin or the chemotherapy conjugate with the tumor paint and test it out to see, are we able to clear the tumor without damaging the normal tissues. And what are your thoughts about that? Uh, We just have to do the experiments. Now, uh, most of us clinicians are wondering, how do you get from the laboratory that sorting out the tumor paint to actually using it in a live patient? Well, in this case, we're very fortunate. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, there's a company called Transmolecular in Cambridge, Massachusetts, that has been using chlorotoxin in human clinical trials for a number of years. As it turns out, we've been working with them for about a year toward the common goal of bringing this to human clinical trials together. And it turns out that the strengths at Transmolecular are very complementary to our strengths at Seattle Children's Hospital and the Fred Hutchinson Center. So in this case, we have a team that already has a lot of experience going through toxicity studies in mice and marmosets and bringing that to the Food and Drug Administration for approval to bring a drug into human clinical trials. And fortunately, at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center, we actually have a small drug factory in the basement of the cancer center that can make the conjugate that's suitable for use in humans, so we don't have to wait for delays that might come through having this commercially made. Are there any downsides to this? We keep looking for them. Uh, obviously, if there's a, something negative about a project that you're developing, a drug that you're developing, you want to know about it as early as possible, so you either find a way to circumvent it or you don't invest a lot of time and money into something that isn't going to move forward. And so far, everything that we've learned about this molecule looks ideal for human studies. And what would you say would be the earliest that you would be using this tumor paint in a patient? The working schedule that we have right now is about 18 to 24 months. And what kind of processes do you have to go through to actually allow that to happen? Uh, The next step is to synthesize one gram of the tumor paint that's clinical-grade material. Then we'll take that material and use a contract research organization that specializes in testing drugs in animals before they go to human clinical trials. That contract research organization will evaluate the toxicity in two different species and 
prepare a report that will be given to the Food and Drug Administration, then my understanding is that they will review it and get back to us if there are any missing items that they need. And ultimately, hopefully, it would be approved by the Food and Drug Administration for safety trials and human clinical trials. So do you think in the popular television show Grey's Anatomy that Dr. McDreamy soon will be, in his neurosurgical treatment, be using this tumor paint? Probably before we are. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank Dr. James Olson, who has been our guest. We have been discussing tumor paint for intraoperative cancer visualization. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special series on children's health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.